Hello, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right. So this is our last episode. We'll probably do a wrap up, but this is our last episode of the actual book, uh, which is exciting. Um, first off, what did you think about the last section and then Indonesia as a whole, just very briefly? So I was very bored with the last section, except for a couple of things that jumped out to me in chap like towards chapter 97 to 98, 99. Mm -hmm. But then I will say, and then I had a couple of notes a little bit later, but when we got to cha uh, 107, chapter 107, like the end, when she's yeah. going to the island with um, Philippe, yeah. I, I highlighted like tons of stuff and thought like I'm even going to write like actually copy it into my journal right because it was so powerful and I was sobbing so yeah so we'll get to that uh, as we work through the chapter absolutely I didn't find it as valuable as the middle section but I still right. really liked it actually I took as many maybe I'm just in a more note-taking mood at the moment but <clears throat> I took a lot of notes still and it was um there was two different sections in particular. The one you mentioned, um, like the last chapter and a bit, was really powerful. But also I found the, her, like the exploration of what love is between Absolutely. her and Philippe, very powerful. The stuff about her road trip was kind of fun. The birthday thing, her birthday party was, all, was kind of boring. And like the-, the Well, I found it, if I can just ceremony, say- The ceremony she went to with Keita, like, so there was good chunks of this. Right. I was just like, I don't care. But I will say that I found the whole birthday party thing kind of funny because the way she said everyone just sits around and like what looks at each other. Right. And I was at a party um, with that was from a culture that's similar to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. It was Filipino, actually. And it was the same thing. Everyone was dressed to the nines. There was some dancing, like the kids were dancing. Yeah. But all the other adults were sitting around. It was like around the perimeter of the, of the room. So it was interesting for me to read that and be able to um, relate it to an experience I had, to understand that experience I had in a different way. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And so we, we'll, we'll get to the birthday and, and we won't have, I, I don't have much to add to that. So, so that covers it basically, but let's start <laughs> at 97. So we just left, we wrapped up last episode, we last wrapped up chapter 96 with this profound, like uh, perfection of her own happiness. So glad that she said no to Philippe. And then the very next chapter, she says yes to Philippe, right? right. And so it's really interesting. Like she just said no and was very pleased with that decision, but for me, it highlighted that it was kind of like a test that she didn't need to say yes. She didn't need him. She had the strength to say no. She knew that. And then she could allow herself to say yes the next day. Well, she was allowing herself, giving herself permission to acknowledge the want, that the want and the need are different. And when you can acknowledge that it's just that you're, you're accepting the want, it's, it, it, right it affects you differently. It comes from a different place than, than doing things because you need to do them. Whether it's you need to fill your soul or you need to fill your, your cup or whatever it may be. When you're choosing to and you want to, it's different. One of the things that I really loved about this chapter 
was, um, and this section where she's starting to discover the love piece with Philippe in a different way, was the, the fact of the way that he is teaching her about love in a different way. Yeah. And like, what does that look like? And, and you know, she, at one point she, she references romance novels and, you know, everything that she's getting from Philippe is what you read about in these romance novels or what you see on these romance movies. And, you know, he's, he's showing her that it can be reality. It manifests differently, obviously, than in a romance book or a novel or whatever you want to call it or a movie, but mm. he's showing her that, that intimacy, that intimacy on a, such a deeper level than she's ever experienced. Right. I, I definitely agree. And I think it's like, I really like him as a character. I mean, he's a person, but right. I mean, what he, what he displays through this. And so both in this chapter and then later when we just hear about his approach to her generally, and I'll really highlight some of that, but here, um, you know, first of all, he just says, come to my bed. Come, that's enough, darling, come to my bed now. And it's just right. like, like, we both know this is the thing. This is the right thing to do. You want it. Just, just, it's not a question. That's enough. Come to my bed. And she does. And he says his only terms are that he can adore her as long as she wants to be adored. He's not asking for her to give him anything. He just, he just cares about her so much. He just wants to adore her. Right. And it's really interesting. And then she says, later, Philippe would tell me how he had seen me that night. Mm. I seemed terribly young but also open and excited and relieved to be recognized and so tired of being brave. And that gives me like goosebumps because like, that's what, that's what sex is about. It's about just being totally vulnerable with someone. And, and she had, she had um, like fought so hard to get to this place and she's wary and it's new. She's a different person. And he can like recognize that because she's being so open and vulnerable with him, which is really amazing to me. And so, there's, go ahead. I was just going to say, I highlighted that as well. And for me, it was like, when I heard him say that to her, like that he said that to her and he acknowledged it and she was allowing herself to relax into it, you know, no matter how old we get, we still have those times when we're taken back to who we were in our youth and our childhood and those insecurities and things still come up sometimes. And the fact that he saw that and he recognized it and he was able to communicate it to her, I think for her gave her permission to be able to look at that, like, it's not a bad thing to be young and it's not a bad thing to go to those places. It's just about how we, we navigate it and we can get through it. Yeah, and, and he says that she was teeming with need, but grateful to be allowed to express that need, mm -hmm. right? And just to say, yes, I do need to be treated this way. I need to be my young, vulnerable self. And that's okay. And I feel safe. Like there's so much there. It's so powerful. Exactly. And then as she's, um, as she's like, so that's kind of his reflection on their first night. Her reflection also hit me really hard because she talks about the mosquito netting looking like a parachute. Mm -hmm. And 
It uh, escorted her out of the side exit of the solid disciplined airplane, which had been flying me during these few years out of a very hard time in my life. And that's, again, this idea of balance. This is the state I'm currently in. I had to be so rigid and disciplined for the past few years because I was in a terrible spot. And I had to do that to get through it. But it's now like I need to recognize that I don't need that forever. And I can jump out of that discipline airplane and just live my life. And she says she lands on the bed in between her past and her future. And she's just there present with him. And it's just like such a, such a great- So powerful. Yeah, it's very powerful to me. And a word that comes to my mind is boundaries. When you talk about that pair, the airplane and how she had to be so rigid with those boundaries, you know, boundaries are a hard thing. And, and when you're on your healing journey and she, she speaks, she, this is what she's alluding to is that she had to make those boundaries be so strong and so rigid so that she could heal and she could protect herself. Mm. And then once she allowed herself to come to that place where she's between her past and her present, she'll be able to now go through her experiences with healthier boundaries. Right. Right. And start be able to recognize when those boundaries aren't necessarily where they need what she needs so that she can put them in place because that recognition is a huge part of it as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's funny because um, you know, so she just said no, had a profound moment. Now she says, yes, she has a profound moment. And she would, you know, you'd think she'd have to just spend all time, all of her time with Philippe. And she's like, I had to go. <laughs> I kept, we didn't sleep at all. And then she had to go because chapter 98, now she's doing a road trip. Right. right? <laughs> and it's funny how things work out. And she says how it's almost good that she had to go. So she wouldn't just fall right into it. She could right. take a step back, be in a different ecosystem and reflect and think about it and not get kind of sucked in. But before, I, I don't know if you remember in episode one or two, I talked about like projecting forward to the road trip. And so I want to quote here from, I don't know, I don't remember what chapter it's in, um, but she's, it's when she's in Italy about to finally say goodbye to David and she's reflecting on saying goodbye to David. It was excitement and com compatibility like I'd never imagined. We invented our own language. We went on day trips and road trips. We hiked the, to the top of things, swam to the bottom of other things plan the journeys across the world we would take together a little later. Even just to imagine that there will never be another road trip with my favorite traveling companion, that I will never again pull up at his curb with the windows down and Springsteen playing on the radio, a, lef a lifetime supply of banter and snacks between us and an ocean destination looming down the highway. And then she writes him his, her email to say goodbye. And to me, it's really great and interesting that now that very much resonates her experience with you, Uday, but it's not a romantic thing. And she can get that need met from a friend and right. they have, and they're speaking their own language. There's they, they're speaking American together. <laughs> I know. I love and it. Broy language. They're having. Yes, yes, dude. Yes, dude. Cars, right? <laughs> so I really yeah. just want to highlight that connection really stood out to me. Well, uh, something that, Oh, sorry. Something that came out to me when just when you were, saying that is 
for Elizabeth, because of the type of, because she's such an analytical person, there often it's just, it's, it's either or. There's no in between. There's either or, right? Black and white, no gray. And so Elizabeth's now learning that gray's okay. I don't know if I frame it the same way. I don't think there's gray, but the way they later on <laughs> is like, so part of balance is being unbalanced some of the time. Right. So that's, that's not quite the same as there's, there's gray, but uh, yeah, because the whole idea I have here, like balance includes fun and calm board games. And they're just like, she's on a road trip and she's just living her life with you day with a friend. And it's, that's what balance is, right? Something um, she talks about. Um, and I am, and for me, it jumped out is at one point during this section, she talks about um, making things complicated. And so that's the thing, like when I was say speaking about the black and the, the either or, the black and the white, it's like we tend to like either go from, it's it just, I think it might be human nature. You might correct me and say I'm wrong. The way that I think of it is we go from one extreme to another often and society also encourages that you go from a to z like everything is like one or the other right and so we tend to over it, it's either really simple or it's over complicated and that balance is finding that place in the middle where you're just not complicating it you're just going with it you're just on the road trip you're speaking your every other word that comes out of your mouth is dude right. right and you're just like having fun with it and not overthinking it not over complicating it no i think i i think that makes sense and yeah it's again it's that notion i come back to of the pendulum swinging i was right. always an extremist and 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 in some things i still think it's good to be an extremist but when i know why i'm being that way and, but this, it's like, yeah, we have, it, it's about kind of finding the balance, finding the middle. Right. Um, and she talks about on her road trip, how uh, it's kind of smudged details because um, that's the nature of road trips, but also her mind's also, as much as she's enjoying it, her mind's also on Philippe, right? Absolutely. She's trying to understand, okay, what was that? What is this? Um, and I just want to highlight, Uday's curiosity is quite fun. Uh, how he's just like, are you building a boat? Like, he's just like, he's just like into life, right? He has this like young spirit, which I like. Um, yeah. And she says like, she's enjoying falling in love. So Philippe is already in love with her. He says, um, where does he say it? I don't remember, but, um, oh, it's on the next page. Um, yeah, but she like, so Philippe is in love with her and she's like falling in love uh, or in that process, which I also well, want to highlight you last time. I don't know if it was on the recording or after you mentioned about how like, you know, it kind of is harsh because she says this guy's her soulmate and then she ends up leaving him in real life. But no, there's, it's not like that. <laughs> I was before we spoke. But, yeah, it was um, before we recorded and we can talk about that in our recap because I still have my own thoughts on it yeah. <laughs> so I want to highlight so she's um, when she's talk, she's talking to Philippe every day while um, they're on the road trip right um, and he says how many more sleeps until you come back to me I'm enjoying falling in love with you darling it feels so natural it's like something I experience every second week but actually I haven't felt this way about anyone in nearly 30 years. 
Maybe this is just some stupid romantic South American idea, but I need you to understand, darling, for you, I am even willing to suffer. Whatever pain happens to us in the future, I accept it already just for the pleasure of being with you now. Let's enjoy this time. It's marvelous. Um, and I, so I want to highlight what I was just going to say to me, that's like a bit intense, like that's intense. Well, so to for, me, for him putting that on her when she is still like it's it, it, having been in different types of relationships and because she is still fragile in a lot of ways that for me was intense because it can it's it almost can be a bit manipulative see i fundamentally disagree because i think it's actually freeing to her because for me it indicates that he loves her selfishly he doesn't it doesn't even matter her feelings for him so she doesn't have to worry about that she doesn't have to worry if she's not quite there yet he's not needy of it if she chooses to reject him he'll accept it he's willing to suffer right and so i actually pulled up a quote from the fountainhead because i liked this so much and i've never seen this sentiment expressed elsewhere but there's this section in the fountainhead that expresses love in a very similar way that i want to quote because it's i think it's so powerful Okay. So this is, this is a gentleman, his name's Gail Winand, and he's talking about how much he loves his wife who doesn't quite love him back. And he says, I love you, Dominique. I love you so much that nothing can matter to me, not even you. Can you understand that? Only my love, not your answer, not even your indifference. I've never taken much from the world. I haven't wanted much. I've never really wanted anything not in the total undivided way, not with the kind of desire that becomes an ultimatum, yes or no. And one can't accept the no without ceasing to exist. That's what you are to me. But when, but when one reaches that stage, it's not the object that matters, it's the desire. Not you, but I, the ability to desire like that. Nothing less is worth feeling or honoring. And I've never felt that before, Dominique. I've never known how to say mine about anything, not in the way I say it about you mine did you call it a sense of life as exaltation you said that you understand i can't be afraid i love you dominique i love you and so it's like he loves her so much it doesn't even matter if she doesn't love him back because it's just so deep and so profound whatever happens it's it's irrelevant because just he loves her so much and that's the sentiment that i get um from, uh, and, which i really and and I understand that. I guess I'm looking at it um, from the other side where I believe that Elizabeth is still fragile. And I believe that she's still, and because she has fallen into those behaviors where she has gotten lost, she has lost herself in her relationships, that he, be, hearing that from somebody else can have a detrimental effect and I think that's the way that it, it affected, it, it, I read it. It okay. may be because of my own experiences, right? Yeah, that's possible. But and I being able to relate to some of what Elizabeth has experienced um, in her other relationships where she lost herself in her relationships. Right, and I think his approach actually contrasts that because he says he doesn't care if he has to suffer. She doesn't have to worry about that. She can do her thing and he's happy to just love her regardless. There's no expectation on her to love him back, to figure it out. 
because he loves her regardless. It's irrelevant to him what her emotions are. I understand. I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is when you're on the person in the other side hearing that and when you're someone who wants to help other people, et cetera, et cetera, you don't want people to suffer. So it, you start to take on that other role. And that is what I, because of where Elizabeth is on her journey, and she still has the times when she falls back into those, those past behaviors, that is, that is all I'm saying. Well, agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, let's, move, let's move on. <laughs> so then she, she has this fun road trip with you day. It's a little bit sad as well at the end because he's like, you know, not sure if he'll ever get to go back to the U S. Um, then she comes back to, uh, in chapter 99 and she spends the next month in Philippe's bedroom and nothing is difficult. Um, she just, yeah. So it just kind of explores, uh, their, it just talks about their uh, romance and just how much he loves her and seems to be dedicated to her. Um, nothing is difficult. Her body has not been this relaxed since she was six months old. Um, and, and because, she, and okay. like, you know, a six month old who just has no concern in the world and is just like the naked baby getting pictures taken of it. Right. And she, and he wants to take care of her and she's not used to that. She's not used to someone just completely being, at her service, for lack of a better way of saying it. And she says, I'm so relaxed now that I kind of slide into meditation like it's a bath prepared by my, by my lover. So she was sitting at the window at this point and she was, she was so she's still honoring her practice. She's still meditating. Yeah, she's still um, meditating every day. Right. And so she says, I'm so relaxed now that I kind of slide into meditation like it's a bath prepared by my lover, naked in the morning sun, with nothing but a light blanket wrapped over my shoulders. I disappear into grace, hovering over the void like a tiny seashell balanced on a teaspoon. Why did life ever seem difficult? Right. right? And, and to me, it's that again, it emphasizes this idea of like what she was praying to, what this, like where you go in meditation in the ultimate like experience is the sensation that you have when you're just, purely joyful right exactly. she has that experience in love and so it's it's there's no she slides into the meditation because she's already in that mental state of bliss that like and she's living it um which is really powerful and she says there's no like he's worried he mentions she might get tired of it and she says no way and she likes not knowing the date she likes just living in her life so fully that like you know, something like the calendar doesn't matter. Right. But then we get to chapter 100 and she gets hit with a bladder infection for being oversexed. Um, <laughs> and um, so, and that's funny because it brings up this idea of, I had highlighted balance on uh, page 298 for me because uh, she overdid it, right? Um, but, oh, here's a, it's a quote from uh, Wyan. To lose, and this is what I talked about uh, when you were saying gray, um, to lose balance sometimes for love is part of living a balanced life. So balance I, isn't being perfectly balanced all of the time. I highlighted that. Yeah, and so I like that. And, um, and so it's like, don't worry too much about, um, about getting out of balance sometimes. Um, I think that 
the key and what's really important, what I keep taking from all of this is that, and what I've taken from my own experience is it's okay to have those times when we are out of balance. It's okay to have those times when we revert back to. It's all about how quickly and how effectively we can move beyond it. And I think that's the important thing. Right, and that's- Get lost in it, you live in it, you resonate with it, you learn from it, you reflect on it, and then you move forward. Right, and that's even the role of meditation. Like that's kind of what meditation is supposed to teach you to experience. Right. And I was even testing it. So I'm very hectic today. I had to go to an appointment and I was, and then like, so it's like, oh, this is the same experience. I can be hectic and then just sit and be calm. Like I have to remember that wherever my mind's running, I can bring it back to calm now. And like my yeah. actual life is analogous to that meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then then we just listen and hear more about like Philippe, Wyan, and Liz talking about sex, and then we find <laughs> out that uh, Wyan's a bit of a pimp, and uh, <laughs> because again, there's issues with the Balinese culture, particularly around men, and so when men are sterile, she can't tell them because it's too dangerous. <laughs> she just gets young men to sleep with their wives. The driver. The drivers. The drivers. Um, yeah, and I just wrote here that I think it's a very, uh, okay, that aside, I think it's a very nice view of sex. They talk about it very openly and honestly. Um, and I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's good. Um, and then I, I just wanted to highlight, so Philippe asks, um, I forget where this is, but Philippe says, if you tell me slowly, I can understand quickly, um, which is, I really like that. I like that idea. Um, or maybe she says it back to him. Um, and I just like that idea. Like, if you tell me slowly, I can understand quickly. Spend time with me to explain it so that I can understand it right away. Right. I just really like that sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, and then before we get to the entire saga of Wyan's house, um, oh my God. <laughs> there's the birthday party. And the only thing I really wanted to highlight from the birthday party, if you have something else, oh, you mentioned how you had that experience, a similar one. Um, but I just wanted to uh, highlight when, when little K-Tut got the Barbie, how meaningful it was to her, like, Absolutely. like magic, right? Like right. she would have never expected to get something like this. Um, yeah. And so now we get to jump back into what I was caught last episode. I was calling the B story. So Philippe is the A story and the B story is this house that they need to get for YN. Right. Um, and I don't, I didn't, like, I don't care to dive into it too much because it just seems to me that like, okay, this is a mystical person who is kind of irrational. And <laughs> so I just wrote YN's house chaos. <laughs> well, chaos. And I highlighted the whole concept. So I'll read it. Balinese concept of rubber time, meaning that time is very relative and bouncy idea. Four weeks doesn't really mean to Yann what it means to me. Because Elizabeth keeps telling her, I'm going home in four weeks. Like, you need to get your house before I go home. When I go home, I have to be able to tell my friends that I've spent the money on your house. 
And so YN is like, so four weeks doesn't really mean to YN what it does to mean. One day to YN isn't necessarily composed of 24 hours either. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, depending upon the spiritual and emotional nature of the day. As with my medicine man and his mysterious age, sometimes you count the days, sometimes you weigh them. And I really started thinking about this and the whole, you know, like for four months when COVID first hit, I wasn't working and I was home. Mm -hmm. And those four months really just like one day just went into the next. You go to sleep, you wake up, you do whatever you do in the day. And I wasn't really looking at the date. I didn't know what day it was on the calendar. I didn't know, you know, so it's interesting that they choose to like, they live their whole lives this way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a good thing. Right? Well, I, I think it's an important thing to be able to take that time sometimes to just be. And for me, that's what it means. You're just being. Yes, she, there, are, there has to be a sense of urgency around some things. Right. This is the extreme where there's no sense of urgency even to buy the house. Yeah. Um, I do recognize there needs to be the sense of urgency, but we tend to, society has taught us that everything is urgent. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't agree, generally speaking, and I think it's hard or impossible to s- separate out that fact from the facts of, like, this is just nonsensical, right? She has to get a dream from a priest before she can know where to buy the house. Right, like, but I'm talking that, just about the rubber time, about the right, Bavis concept you, of rubber time. Right, and I'm just saying, I don't think you can separate those, right? So it's like, it's part and parcel of this way of them viewing the world as like, not <laughs> properly in my view, right? Right, well we both have our views on that too. So I guess Um, me being more connected to some of the mystical stuff that they do in Bali and more, more open to it helps me to be able to. Or as I would say, I'm as connected with whatever you're connected to, but I just have a more rational framework to understand. (laughs) Okay. Um, You're making me laugh. um, So then we get to, she wants to highlight that maybe she's not getting across how fun this is as well. Cause she just talks about, okay, it's pretty chaotic. Like it's, it's frustrating, but it's also fun. But then she says, well, maybe it's just, she's so happy and it's so enjoyable to be falling in love that this is kind of like an aside. It is the B story, right? She's falling in love. She's spending time with Philippe. He's now engaged in this with her. Um, and the way he takes on the saga of Wyan's house really shows her the type of man he is, right? right. Um, and so it's all kind of fun. Um, and uh, then she says she gets to hear um, how he saw her that first night that they met and how he was just thinking, um, I will do anything to have that if only she knew how much I could, how much love I could offer her right? He just like, from the very beginning, he thinks like, wow, not like, you know, that, that chick is really beautiful. I want her to serve me. I want to sleep with her or whatever. It's just like, oh, I could offer her so much. Like she seems like a value that I could like provide, like I could provide value to her, which, which is sort of nice. Um, and actually here is uh, where I had meant to bring up the, the wine in quote. Um, the, the one I read from the Fountainhead instead of earlier. But then, you know, they're, they're talking 
there, there's, there's like this sort of aside where they're talking um, about him taking care of her and she starts to have anxiety about this, right? She starts to have anxiety about, it's lovely to be treated that way, but she doesn't want to be someone's world, right? Am I centered enough to be the center of somebody else's life? And she starts kind of a little bit freaking out about this. What, what chapter are we on, if you don't mind me asking? This is chapter 104. Right, okay, so I have something to share as well. Yeah, and so um, she's, she's saying like, it seems like he's so dedicated to her, so she like his world must revolve around her again. And again, this is where I think you and I disagreed earlier. Is she's like, right. I don't want that. I don't right. want all of this. I do, am I able to deal with it? And she asks him about that, and he says, "Have I asked you to be that person? Have I asked you to be the center of my life?" And she says, "Oh, I'm sorry. That was a little arrogant, was it? Wasn't it?" And he said, "A little, but not so much." Darling, of course, it's something we have to discuss because here's the truth. I'm wildly in love with you. I mean that in a completely hypothetical way, he laughs, or he says in, uh, he, he makes a joke, but then he says, look, I'm 52 years old. I already know how the world works. I recognize that you don't love me yet the way I love you, but the truth is that I don't really care. For some reason, I feel the same way about you that I felt about my kids when they were small. It wasn't their job to love me. It was my job to love them. You can decide to feel however you want to, but I love you and I will always love you. Even if we never see each other again, you already brought me back to life and that's a lot. And of course, I'd like to share my life with you. And so like, that's also what happens with that character in The Fountainhead is he's like basically, he's like literally a walking dead person, totally disconnected from life and that love brings him back to life. And so for me, I wish I would have waited to read the quote here because that's the same sentiment is like, again, it's not about you needing to serve any role for me. You've already saved my life. You've already played this role for me. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, and so that, that passage, to me, that's what love is. Like that's how uh, big it can be and how I felt before and, and this sort of thing. And I think that part of it, uh, my, the way that I'm understanding it, when I think about Elizabeth's relationships in the past, again, there was that either or. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what Philip is saying, Philippe is saying to her, I'm all the way over here. You're still there. And that's fine. And that's okay. And in relationships, the longer you're with someone, sometimes you're in the same place together. Sometimes you, you love them more than they love you. Sometimes they love you more than they love that you love, you know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when the foundation of that love is so strong, it doesn't matter if it separates at times and then divert and then comes back together. And that's what Philippe's, Philippe is saying to her. And this is what she has to learn because in her other relationships, and the way she used to think about it before, there was one or the other. Right. Right. And when you didn't have the when you didn't have it, there was nothing. Right. And and this is what he said at the beginning. He doesn't want them to give up eat themselves to one another, right? right. He, they don't want to take from one another. And she didn't understand how because she's not centered enough, she couldn't understand how he could be so passionately in love with her mm -hmm. and yet it not take up his whole life and it not be like potentially right. damaging or no, it's such a full emotion that it, that, yeah. 
And that's the beauty of that kind of love is that you're the best that you can be when you're separate and you're the best that you can be when you're together. And that togetherness is so much stronger because of who you are when you're apart, right? You know, and Elizabeth right, said- Right, and it's this idea of, um, you know, I don't want you to complete me. I want to be complete and we can walk together, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, um, I can relate to what Elizabeth is saying so much because of what my own experience has been around this. Mm -hmm. And learning to get to that place, uh, but not having expectation and just going with it. Right. Um, in my own relationship. And, you know, she says, I'm not sure what I want. I do know there's a part of me which has always wanted to hear a man say, let me take care of you forever. And I have never heard it spoken before. Over the last few years, I've given up looking for that person learned how to say um, this heartening sentence to myself, especially after times of fear. So she says she learned how to say to herself, go back to bed, Liz, right at the very beginning. I can take care of you. I love you to herself. So she's learned how to be able to say that, right? But mm -hmm. to hear it from someone else now, from someone who's speaking so sincerely, you know, that for her is disconcerting because, it, you know, it's, it's setting her off balance a little bit because of those old fears. And because she's, she's not really learnt, taught herself how to be able to just embrace and accept that it can be uncomplicated. Right. And, and that section, like I almost got choked up when I was reading it because I did ha I was so needy growing up and like, I was always kind of chasing after women to try and fulfill that need. And I had to work really hard to say it to myself. And I don't know what will happen when I eventually have a significant other again, and I'll have to readapt because to me, that's that, that same sentiment resonates with the plane of the discipline discipline plane she was on right? right she had to meet all of her own needs herself mm -hmm. and she had to know that was okay but then it's because then she can want someone else to fulfill her needs sometimes rather than needing it and it's it's that kind of change of mentality right. i really wish i would have waited to read the whining quote till now it would have been so much more powerful so That's i encourage okay. people to go back <laughs> and re-listen to it or look it up <laughs> okay. um and something else from this chapter, if I may, that really like resonated with me was the dreams that she had. Wait, before we get to the oh, dreams, okay. I want to just highlight as well that Philippe mentions, if you want me, I'm yours. Let me take care of you forever. And he's just so honest in his, in his almost, it's, it's such a deep desire. It's not desperate, but it's like basically desperate. And he's just fine with that. He's, and, and there's so much other stuff that comes out of the fountainhead to me about just like, let me show you my naked need. Like, I don't care. I just need you so much. And it's just honest and open. And I had, it's open and fearless to just be able to say that to someone. And so it's really. Um, well, that's, that's vulnerability at its most base, right? That's right. the purest vulnerability when you're able to just open yourself up, you know, and yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, I had an experience in my own relationship where we were going through ups and downs and whatever. And, it, and at the final time when we were making a decision around our relationship, 
I said, I shared my deepest fear of what, what, what I believed if we ended it. And the minute I was able to share that deepest fear that I had and open myself and be so vulnerable around that was when everything started turning in the different direction. Mm-hmm. And the healing that came from that for myself, for our relationship, for him was huge. And, you know, when I, th- I often go back and I think about that and I think about what was I so afraid of to be so vulnerable? And I think this is where Elizabeth still is in her, in her journey. She's still afraid of that vulnerability because she's so afraid of losing herself. Right. And, and, right? and that's why it's hard for her to recognize like right. confidence in being that way because right. it's scary to imagine I would do it. So like he must be, and that's why you said it's a little like, like that he says like, no, I'm fine here, right? Well, and I think that age and, ex- and, and life experience, not necessarily age experience, but life experience leads us to certain places, right? And, and you know, I mean, I, I don't get hung up on age because sometimes I'm a 12-year-old trapped in my older body and sometimes I'm a five-year-old trapped in my older body and sometimes I'm an older person trapped in my younger body, right? Yeah. So I don't get wrapped up in that, but there is something to be said about the experience we have at different points in our life at our different ages. And, you know, Philippe is, I believe it's 17 years older than her. So that 17 years of life experience, right, has, of his life experience has brought him to a different place where she's still in the infancy of this journey. Right. Like this, and he might be in, he might, journey. right, whereas he, he's, she's in the infancy, whereas he might be in his teen years of his journey or in his, you know, older years of his journey, because we don't know what his journey is. They never talk about his journey, right? right? We're seeing him at this point where Elizabeth is still striving to get to. Yeah. And, and so then after they talk about this and she, she, she lets herself feel I'm falling in love with this man. She, uh, mm-hmm. it's like, she kind of gets, she talks to him and gets over that anxiety. And then she has these two dreams. So you said you wanted to say something about the dreams. Right. Well, she said she falls asleep. And in her first dream, um, she, um, she's fought, um, both were about her guru. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the first dream, her guru is closing down her ashram and she will no longer be speaking, teaching, or publishing books. She gave her students one final speech in which she said, you've had more than enough teachings. You have been given everything you need to know in order to be free. It's time for you to go outside in the world and live a happy life. So her guru is giving her permission and it doesn't matter what you're afraid of. It doesn't matter. Those can guide you and those can protect you and those can help you have your boundaries, but they should never ever stop you from reaching your potential, from exploring, from taking chances because you never know what's going to happen. And what's the worst? I often say, what's the worst thing that can happen? It won't work out. And so you'll heal from that and you'll continue on. Right? And so the guru's saying that. And then in the second dream, she's having a dinner 
This dream didn't resonate with me the same one as the way as the first one. So I'm not going to get into it um, as much, but you know, um, they're having the dinner in a fancy restaurant and the guru's master comes. But at the end of the day, what both of these dreams are telling her is just to enjoy. Right. And just to enjoy each moment. And I think the second dream in particular also, it's like, it's the sanction of like, in her mind, the, the most intense meditation guy. And she's just living her life and it's joyful. And he says, right. that's good. Like yeah. that's a saying, like rather than the idea of, that some people think, oh, I need to meditate forever and always move yeah. to the ashram. No, live and enjoy your life. And that's what both of these are. And so it's just like, it's like a nod of sanction, right? Well, and it's, you know, we talk about meditation a lot and, you know, the prescribed notions around meditation and what they are. But, you know, sometimes when we've been doing recordings, David, and we're talking about something or you're talking about something, I feel myself going into my meditative state and I'll close my eyes. You'll see it on past recordings because meditation can manifest in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be sitting cross-legged in the moment in that deep meditation. A meditative state is a sense of calm that comes over you. They say, I, I know you look like you're skeptical of that. I, don't, I think you're mixing up terms a little bit, but that's fine. I'd say medi a mindful state. Meditation is the practice, though. Meditation is a certain thing. So you could be meditating, but if you're just in a blissful, mindful state, that's not the same as a meditative state. Well, but it's the same. It gives me the same feeling. And that's right, yeah, but thing. meditation is like the process of practicing uh, that. Okay. Semantics important especially with <laughs> such important and misused terms like meditation and mindfulness <laughs> all right David. <laughs> um but i wanted to just highlight her the first dream resonated with me because after i did my 10-day meditation retreat yeah um, sometime in like the month after that i had because i had been especially having read this multiple times i was like i need a spiritual guide as well i need a spiritual guide even though part of me already thought and I had had experiences of knowing I was my own spiritual guide because mm -hmm. I figured this out my, mostly on my own, um, but I wanted a guide. And so I did this 10 day meditation retreat. And afterwards I was like, the guy, his name's SN Goinka, Goinka G. I was like, this, this is my guy. This is my guru. And I had a dream where it was actually like, I was like basically like soaring and he was holding me down. He was holding onto my ankle and I had to kick him off. <laughs> Because the guru was holding me down from the full heights I could attain. So that was my dream relative that, that came to mind. Because it was a very vivid dream of me like, get out of here. I, I got this figured out. Which was, you know, it's, uh, interesting. it's interesting to me that you say that about the guru looking, thinking you need a guru. Because throughout my practice and my journey, as I've done different kinds of learnings with different people and things like that. And I've had different people that I've worked intensely with. And I often would think, you know, even reading this, I was thinking, oh, do I need a guru? I need to find a guru. Where can I find a guru? I'm going to go look for a guru. But I, uh, when I sit back and I think about it, I've had different gurus throughout my journey because yeah. different people have come into my life, whether I've attracted them or however they've, they've come to me, that have taught me different things that resonated and spoke to me in those moments of where I was in those moments. 
And so I like what you said about you being your own guru, because I believe that that true for me myself as well. And that it's not always one, not everybody has that one thing that speaks to them. And when you're working specifically with one guru, that is one, one way of thinking. That is one belief system, one practice system, whatever it may be. I, I view it a little bit differently because I basically think, um, you know, anyone who actually could help you achieve the right thing, they help you by interest, by helping you find yourself. Right. So it's not that any particular one matters more than another. And there's, Absolutely. I forget where in the book she mentions it, but she mentions like Thich Nhat Hanh, who's like a famous Vietnamese monk and how he was in the, in Madison Square Garden or whatever. And she at first says he brought everyone into his stillness, but then she corrects herself and she says, actually, it's better to say he brought everyone into their own stillness. Right. And that's the thing is you don't need a guru and you don't need a specific guru or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I mean, many people I know would be very hesitant or like wouldn't like just would laugh and be just totally turned off by the notion of guru. And I, I'm basically as well. But the whole idea is like there are people who've attained a certain relationship with themselves. They've walked a certain path and they can help you walk it yourself. And Absolutely. so there is value in, in that. If you see the same way, anyone who's achieved anything that you admire, you can get advice and they can't walk the path for you, but they can teach you how they got to where they are. Right. And it's the same for this, this relationship with themselves. And I think that's where self-awareness comes in and the reflection piece. And as you start to know yourself more, mm -hmm. you start to be able to continue learning what you need to know to keep you moving forward. And that's why I say you attract the people towards you, whether you call them a guru or a teacher or whatever title you want to give them, who are going to help you continue on your path of enlightenment, of learning, of whatever you want to call it, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so, so now she's had these dreams and now we're in chapter 105. So we have two chapters of Indonesia left and then we get to the last trip, which I, I'm sure we have lots to say about. Oh my God, but yeah, let's skip for, over Indonesia and go to 107. So for, for Indonesia, <laughs> I just want to highlight, this is also a bit about how Philippe said she brought him back to life because she talks about how many of the, she couldn't live in Indonesia. Like it's not for her because most of the people there have surrendered ambition and they're just living on idle. And it's a place people have just gone to escape their lives, but not to live, right? Well, the, the, I, she's talking about the expats. The yeah, people, the expats yeah. who just run away there. Um, yeah. And I, I really just wanted to highlight that because I think um, people have this idealized view of that life. And, and some of the stuff you've said throughout our recordings have also been like, oh, but you, want, you don't want to just be in the urgency and the Western culture is too rushed. And it's like, maybe, but... The other extreme is also bad. You don't want to just escape and, and have all of your days drift together because you're living on an island and nothing matters, right? Right. Like that's not living to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to Liz either. Um, and there's basically two things left to cover. So there's K-Tut and the baby ceremony. So she has this sort of last experience with K-Tut um, um, where 
you know, they just have a nice chat and then I don't even care to talk about the baby ceremony. It's just kind of intense and silly to me. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to say about it. Well, I do. I, I, I one of the, uh, there was two things that jumped out at me um, was the fact that they don't put the babies on the ground for the first six months. And I had known that about Asian culture from the past, but mm -hmm. I didn't understand um, it as much as I did after reading it this time. And I didn't get, remember that from my first reading of the book. Um, so I, I think it's a beautiful ceremony in terms of um, just honoring the purity of the baby, right? And they call it the God in the baby, but I like to think of it of the purity of the baby. And that's something we talk about, the purity of ourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they honor that. But for me, it was the connection between Ketat and the baby. Mm -hmm. um, the baby was like so drawn into Ketat, Ketat, whether you want to call it his energy or whatever he was manifesting. Um, that she couldn't stop looking at him. And to me, that was a beautiful thing because here's this old man and there's something to be said about, you know, whether it's our grandparents or whatever it may be, um, the wisdom of that ancient generation, I'll call it, you know, that, that they bring to a family dynamic. And I, I think in our culture, that's gotten lost to a certain degree, um, the, the level of that intensity. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I definitely think there's nothing special about being old, right? Like someone- No, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking about the, the wisdom that the older generation brings, um, the connection, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but for yeah. me, it just resonated. Yeah, okay. Um, and so then we get to chapter 106, which is the big finale of, of the B story, which is why I'm getting this house. And well, so it's, it's Elizabeth asserting herself, which was new for her. Right. And, and this is, we'll get to that because I don't know how I feel about the way she asserted herself. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> but, um, but so first, like she's trying to, okay, there's only a couple weeks left. Mm -hmm. Wyan has to get a house. It's actually getting like problematic at this point. And then Wyan starts saying, oh, I need to get more land. I want a hotel. And, and uh, more Richard, money, more money. Yeah, and Richard comes into your head. She's fucking with you, groceries. <laughs> and, and Elizabeth just calmly gets up and leaves and goes to Philippe and asks him his honest opinion. And she says this whole time, Philippe has not told her what's going on. He's not offered his opinion. And, Philippe, and she asks him and he says, Can I just oh, interject here? Philippe has been respectful of her process. And mm -hmm. I think that's huge. That speaks volumes to their relationship and to um, who he is as a man. He doesn't right. need to exert the control. Right. And, uh, and he just goes, of course, she's fucking with you. <laughs> like, of <laughs> course she is. And then, and then there's an interesting you know, discussion of why she is that you shouldn't get. And, and you know, I don't want to get too into it because this is a very complex thing about like, you know, how should you get angry at people who are like trained a certain way? Should you show them compassion? Like, and all of this. Well, because uh, YN is basic, is it why? Yeah, YN I'm, is basically just doing what their culture does. Right, she's, and, and Liz she's, gets she's mad not at do, that idea. Right. right. Like, oh, it's the white man's burden. Like these people are just like this. Right. But there's something to be said of like, well, it's not like they're like this because of birth. They're like this because of training, right? The right. same way. And that's what's, 
important to highlight. And it's just, but I do resonate with the idea that many people I talk to, they say certain things, they act certain ways, and I have to give them, I don't, I don't like let it impact me. I don't like get mad, but I don't forgive them and let it slide. But there's this middle road where, okay, I'm not mad at them. I know they're not ill-intentioned type thing. Right. Um, and then you say, yeah, so you say she asserts herself and I, I, she lies, right? And so like, <laughs> but like Wyan is basically lying to her as well. So it's like, right. okay, she should like, you know, how should she have handled this? But the funniest thing, what I really want to highlight is she says that um, her American friends think she's a bullshit, right? And like Wyan freaks out and... <laughs> And it's, I think this is a really like important note and, and it has a lot to say about people's kind of psychology that um, bullshit is one of the very worst things you can call someone in Bali. In this culture where people bullshit each other a dozen times before breakfast, well, where bullshitting is a sport, an art, a habit, and a desperate survival tactic, to actually call someone out on their bullshit is an appalling statement. And to me, that's, true for everyone the things that they know they're doing that they don't think they should be for whatever reason and you call them out on it that's what they hate the most right they don't want to be called out and everyone just if no one says it that's okay we can all just keep bullshitting each other as long as no one says it and when you're the one who just comes in and says it people really don't like that and so oh, I, they, that's uh, yeah. really interesting um it's a really interesting concrete distillation of that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any, I'm just going to wrap it up. Long story short, she gets a house. <laughs> I, I just found the whole thing quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, it was a nice break from some of the intensity that we've been feeling in different parts of the book. Right. And, and I'm glad it has a happy ending. It has a good resolution. She bought a house in Bali for her friend. Uh, that's all good. Um, okay, and so now we get to the, the, oh. the grand finale, uh, chapter 107. So she's going- So if I can just, before we start on this, I've read this book before and I didn't remember any of this. Really? And I think it's because I read it when I read it, I was in such a different mindset and I was at the infancy of my journey. And that's why I was so in love with the India part. Right. Tw almost 20 years later, where I am now and the relationship I'm in now, I read this and I literally... Right. And so for me, like, to be fair, when I first read this book, I literally read it three times in a row. So I had more opportunity. I'm a slow learner. So I had more opportunity. No, to, you're not. <laughs> I had more opportunity to absorb it. But for me, I very vividly remember it because it's something like, we'll get to this point, but I actually like took this to heart and did this process like early on, like the summer that was the worst summer of my life. I did this and it was so profoundly helpful for me. But so, you know. Oh, you mean you did the, the beginning part of this part where she went on the trip by herself? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and so chapter 107, she's going to Gilly Menno or something like that with, uh, with Philippe. And then, but this chapter, we get reflected back 
to her first time there and why she wants to share it with him. Um, it's one of the most in places, important places in the world to her. She came here two years ago when she was in Bali for the first time and she gave herself a 10 day retreat of absolute solitude and absolute silence. Um, and she, she looks back and as much as she um, was looking forward to this thing she's decided to do, she says she's never been more terrified in her life. So right. she's going to this remote island to just face herself. And, you know, up until and, that and point, she had warring in her head about her divorce, about her marriage, about whatever it was that's going on. And she said, she told herself all of the warring parts. We're all here together now, guys, all alone. And we're going to have to work out some kind of deal for how to get along or else everyone is going to die together sooner or later. And so it's like an ultimatum to your own mind. I, we or I need to figure this out. I need to get on the same page. I need to understand myself or I'm going to die, right? And like to really understand like that is the option. And whether it's an, an immediate death or a waking death or a walking death, like that's a, a really profound thing. Um, and... I mean, she had so many demons. She was so conflicted. She had... She had hit rock bottom, right? Um, whatever that looks, it looks different for everybody. But, you know, when you hit that place, it's scary. And she, she just, you know, to, to go, to be in such darkness um, and to go somewhere where you're just going to be by yourself and, mm. and, and have to face yourself. And not everybody can go to an island. I just want to interject here and say, I had this experience for myself when I was in between jobs. And I had quit my job and it was winter and I literally was in my house for four months before I started my next job. And I had many pajama days and I had many days where I didn't talk to anybody. My husband respected my space. I. I have the gift of hearing loss, so I take out my hearing aids and I'm in my own world. And, you know, when I was reading this, I was remembering that place. Right. And I didn't, and I didn't leave my home. Right. And I was recently talking with someone. I live near a big, beautiful park now, but there's another park that's not as nice that is, I, I prefer. And she asked me why. And because that summer, the summer where I was just living, I was still working, but I was living in a basement and I was in the darkest place, I would sometimes go to that park. And that park is the place that I had this experience, that I reconciled with myself. And like, it, so that park is like one of the most important places for me because right. this, it's where I, I went through this and I faced myself, right? You know, and, and, and it can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be you know, a, a, an island in Indonesia, right? Right, and I think that's why it's important for us to say that because, you know, for people who are beginning their journey or the infancy of their journey, um, you know, you, like we were talking about the guru, you know, I would read stuff like this and think, Am I, 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 need to ha I need to have that right. to get it. And you don't need to have that. You need to have the awareness of yourself and what you need to let go of and and 
and have the, the courage to be vulnerable and to go to your darkest places. And you can be anywhere to do that. You just have to be willing to open yourself up to it. Right. And that's the fearful part, right? And she right. says, um, when I look back at the four years between my marriage falling apart and the day I was free, I see a detailed chronicle of total pain. And the moment when I came to this tiny island all by myself was the very worst of that entire journey, the bottom of the pain and the middle of it. And like, I know what that's like, right? Like I know that experience and how devastating it is, but it becomes one of the most important places because that's where you faced yourself. That's where you honestly and unabashedly faced yourself. And it's many people aren't, aren't, are too scared to do that. Um, and, and so, and she does, and she, she brings us here uh, with her. Um, she talks about how, um, you know, she was very scared. She rented a little cabin and it, first of all, she says she wanted to be silent because all pain, according to her guru or something, all pain and joy are caused by words, which is interesting. There's a, oh you know, there's God, a philosophical, that. psychological reasoning behind that, I think. It's the because of the way human minds work. So, um, you know, before we get into that, though, can I just say that? Oh, I don't want to get into that. I just wanted to. Add oh, okay. That's an interesting because thing to maybe explore further. You know, as she was fearful of going over, she remembered in her mind what her guru says fear, who cares? Right? Yeah. Fear. Who cares? It's like I, I say to myself, what I was saying to myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and, you know, that I think that I just wanted to share that because we've talked about that throughout our recordings. We've talked about letting go of your fear about embracing in different times as we've gone, you know, hit different points of, of Elizabeth's journey. And I think that you know, for anybody who's listening to this, who maybe is at the beginning of their journey, you know, it just ask yourself that make it your mantra, because it helps you. It helped me to be able to get beyond it. Right. And that's what Elizabeth did. She was on the boat. She was scared. She was scared of everything she was going to find. And and then what she does find is she says everything came out. It came up. It felt like a detox everything was being flushed out of her system. There was hate, there was fear. And she's starting to face this and, and just sit with herself for days in silence. And she sees all of these other family, these like couples there living and loving and, and she's not in that place, but she can recognize this is not your time for companionship, Liz. You have a different task here, right? And so, it, and it's not worse, it's not better, it's just different. She's not in that place right now. And that's a really hard thing to recognize when you see Absolutely. like something you desire that you don't have. Um, and then. And it's also hard when you're, when you're in that dark place, you're looking at all of that around you and thinking that that is the pinnacle of perfection. Right. But you don't know what their stories are. Right. And that's something that we have to remind ourselves. We don't know what anybody's story is and our own perfection, our own relationship, uh, you know, if you're talking about a love relationship, 
it's never going to manifest and become whatever you see of somebody else's. Right. It's going to be the creation of your own. And I think that, you know, that was important for her as well, because she was looking at all of that and she was recognizing she's not ready for it. But that in and of itself was giving her the ability to move on to the point where she can go back with Philippe to this island and create what their perfection is in their relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So well, I think that that's important. Yeah, before we get to their coming back to the island, though, there's still, I think, a, a lot. Uh, oh, I'm just, island. yeah, I'm just talking about seeing other couples. Yeah. Right? And so she says the couples don't talk to her, though, because um, she thinks she's giving off this, like, you know, negative aura but well, she's, she is person. she's she, i mean i will just say that if she's in this place she's toxic right and she's but what one person doesn't care and there's this kid on the beach comes <laughs> up and talks to her and every day he talks to her and he says stuff and she was like what are you my worst anxieties and fears like why are you alone why don't you have a husband why are you so weird um and she says he 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 continues every day until he gets a rise out of her and she responds and reacts. And then he just runs away giggling and how it like two things uh, come to mind. One, well, one, she talks about this, this idea of uh, St. Anthony saying he encountered people and, and it was devils and angels and asked, how could he tell the difference between a devil or an angel that visits mm -hmm. you? And you can tell uh, which is which by the way you feel after the creature has left your company. And, and so it's the impact that they have on you and you can tell from your place and how they be benefited or detrimented you, whether it's an angel or a devil. And one thing it really resonates with me is often when I was especially in that really dark place, but even sometimes now, when I go out and just walk around, I love when strangers talk to me because it's, I'm just pulled out of my world. I'm in some dark, deep place. I'm ruminating or whatever. And they say, oh, I like your backpack. And it's like, oh, there's an entire other thing. Like it's not just <laughs> the experience I'm living, right? right. And, and it's really, I remember a few different times where I was in such a bad headspace and some random stranger said some random thing to me and it changed my mood for the whole day. Because it was just like, I got a little bit of a taste of their joy or their perspective. And it, it was like a balm that soothed me. Um, and then, so she, we meet this gentleman and, and he runs away laughing or this young kid. And then we get to the, the, the ninth day of silence. Um, I went into meditation one evening and I remember thinking, this is it, Liz. This is your chance. Show me everything that is causing you sorrow. Let me see all of it. Don't hold oh. anything back. One by one, the thoughts and memories of sadness raised their hands, stood up to identify themselves. I looked at each thought, at each unit of sorrow, and I acknowledged its existence and felt its horrible pain without trying to protect myself from it. And then I would tell that sorrow, it's okay, I love you, I accept you. Come into my heart now, it's over. And I would actually feel the sorrow as if it were a living thing. It, she feels it and then she brings it into her heart as if it's a room. And then she says next. And she lets every single bit of grief enter. And now then she 
She feels it. She loves it. She accepts it. And then she does it for sadness. She does it for rage. And then the most difficult part, show me your shame. I asked my mind. She asked her mind to show me her shame. Dear God, the horrors she saw then. A pitiful parade of all of my failings, my lies, my selfishness, my jealousy, my arrogance. I didn't bl blink from any of it, though. Show me your worst, I said. When I tried to invite these units of shame into my heart, they each hesitated at the door saying, no, you don't want me in there. Don't you know what I did? And I would say, I do want you, even you, I do. Even you are welcome here. It's okay, you are forgiven, you are part of me. You can rest now, it's over. And like to be able to do that, to look at every sadness you've experienced, every anger you've experienced, and every shame, every guilt, everything you, you feel bad that you've ever done in your life, to willfully face it and accept it. And, and, and not just that, to feel it. Because much of that stuff, so like this, I did this in Trinity Bellwoods in, in that park. And to act, you actually feel it again. And maybe for the first time, because you avoided it in the past. And it's so overwhelming. And for me, I very much like, envision the actual like a door opening in my heart and i had to like sometimes i had to like smush stuff in because it didn't want to enter there it didn't want to be accepted um and when all this was finished i was empty nothing was fighting in my mind anymore i looked into my heart and my own goodness and i saw its capacity i saw that my heart was not even nearly full not even after having taken in and tended to all those calamitous urchins of sorrow and anger and shame. My heart could easily have received and forgiven even more. Its love was infinite. Mm -hmm. And like, man, like, mm -hmm. that's just so intense. And to be able to, um, to be able to recognize that and to give yourself that is like so huge. To be able to forgive yourself because that's the hardest thing is to be able to forgive yourself. And they often say that forgiveness is a gift you give yourself, not that you give to the other person. Because, you know, when you're living in that shame, when you're feeling that jealousy and that arrogance and that selfishness, you're often blaming the other person for it, right? They say, hold up a mirror and you'll see the reflection of yourself. Any behaviors you, any behaviors you see in other people are actually the reflection of what you are in yourself. And so to be able to go to that place and give yourself forgiveness is like unbelievable. And to, to face everything, to sit there and just face yourself, mm -hmm. everything, and to want it to come up, to feel it, to not be scared of it. Because these things happened, right? And, and you can't avoid them. They're facts. They are things that happened and all you can do is harm yourself by avoiding them. And I think another point that she makes that's so important, she, she's just, she's empty. She's dealt with all of this. It's all in her heart. And she says, I also knew somehow that this respite, respite, respite of peace would be temporary. I knew that I was not yet, fin not yet finished for good, that my anger, my sadness, and my shame would all creep back eventually, escaping my heart and occupying my head once more. And she talks about how yeah. Can I just say something here? 
Mm -hmm. By her acknowledging that and saying that she knew that, she's giving herself permission to be in each moment of whatever her experience may be. Right. And, and I think, especially on a journey, that's the important point. Because multiple times I got a sense of that calm. I thought I dealt with it. And then they come back up. And I'm like, and I get twice as miserable. I thought I dealt with you. I thought I accepted you. And so to know that it's a process. And she says, I knew that I would have to keep dealing with those thoughts again and again until I slowly and determinedly changed my whole life. And that's what it takes, right? It takes you to, it, you need to feel settled and fully complete in your new life before these thoughts actually settle down and you accept them and you can look at your past self and be like, I accept you. I understand that. That was part of getting me to here, right? And um, again, I'm going to say it again, because for people who are listening to this, if you go to that place, it's not, again, it's not a bad thing. It's about how you are in that place, in that moment, and being able to get out of it more, less painfully, with less pain. And then she says, she writes in her notebook, the first words she's chosen to spoke in nine days, I love you, I will never leave you, I will always take care of you. And that's what she's able to tell herself and that's the airplane of discipline that she's built. And it's the airplane of compassion. And she's able to know that. And that's the most powerful thing. And, and so now we're at the final chapter of the book. She's now, after sharing that experience with us, she's coming back to that place to Gili Menno under totally different experiences. Since she was last here, she circled the world, settled her divorce, survived a separation from David, erased medications from her system, learned to speak a new language, sat on God's palm, studied at the feet of a medicine man, and purchased a home for family, a family who needed it. I am happy and healthy and balanced. And yes, I can't help but notice that I'm sailing to this pretty little tropical island with my Brazilian lover, which is an almost ludicrously fairy tale ending to this story like the page out of a dream. Yet, and this is, I think, one of the most important points. Yet, what keeps me from dissolving right now into a complete fairy tale shimmer is this solid truth, a truth which has veritably built my bones over the last few years. I was not rescued by a prince. I was the administrator of my own rescue. She did it, she accomplished it. She's there and happy and in love because she worked for it. She took control of her own life and she worked to get the life she wanted, to build her own dream. Absolutely. Um, and, and then can I, oh. Yeah, go ahead. She, she says, my thoughts turn to something I once read, something the Zen Buddhists believe. They say that an oak tree, oh, I can't. They say that an oak tree is brought into creation by two forces at the same time. Obviously, there is the acorn from which it all begins, the seed which holds all the promise and potential which grows into the tree. Everybody can see that, but only a few can recognize that there is another force operating here as well, the future tree itself, which wants so badly to exist that it pulls the acorn into being, drawing the seedling forth and longing, 
with longing out of the void, guiding the evolution from nothingness to maturity. In this respect, say the Zens, it is the oak tree that creates the very acorn from which it was born. And she goes on to say, the younger me was the acorn full of potential, but it was the older me, the already existent oak, who was saying the whole time, yes, grow, change, evolve, come and meet me here where I already exist in wholeness and maturity. I need you to grow into me. I need you to become me. Right. And so, so, so powerful. Yeah. And so, and that's, you know, I don't know if I agree that that's what a tree does, but I definitely think that's what a person does, right? Like I, I was like this person that I am happy and proud and so deeply satisfied to be now without me, the person I was four years ago wouldn't have survived. Right. Right. And, and somehow I still existed in there. Right. And it's hard, like the actual psychological implication, like understanding what was actually going on is very complex. But regardless, like I was able to help myself out and and pull myself. I wanted to become this. I wanted to be this and I chose to be this and I put everything else aside so I could become this. And that's what she's recognizing and what she's highlighting. And, you know, we reflect back to one of our first encounters with her where she's on the ground or on the floor of her bathroom crying. And there's a voice that just says, go back to bed, Liz. And that voice was her. That voice was this person that she wanted to become, that knew she had the ability to become her full self. Mm-hmm. knowing that things would be okay, knowing that she'd eventually get here, right here, right to this moment where I was always waiting in peace and contentment, always waiting for her to arrive and join me. And I don't know if I agree that it was always because she worked for it. She had to choose to do that, but it's so powerful. Um, like, but that's why they call it work. Work isn't easy. Right. Work isn't meant to be easy. Right. And so this is sort of the, 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 the last major sentiment of the book is, is she's here now because she, she was the administrator of her own rescue. Her future self wanted to exist. And whether people recognize it or not, their true self does want to exist. And if you just listen to that voice, no matter what else happens, that can be valid. That is like your life, right? Um, and I just have one last thing I, um, to add. She, she talks about uh, the little fishing boat anchors off the shore. There's no docks. You have to roll up your pants, jump off the boat, and wade through the surf on your own power. There's no way to do this without getting soaking wet or even banged up on the coral. But it's worth all of the trouble because the beach here is so beautiful, so special. And to right. me, that imagery of, yeah, you got to jump off the boat. It's scary. You got to get wet. You got to get banged up, but it's worth it because it's so beautiful once you get there. You know, and it makes me think about what you were saying about that, that self is always there, right? It's always there. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we lose ourselves and it's not that we lose ourselves. We never lose ourselves. We might get waylaid. We might get 
you know, go on a different path. We might get distracted. We might, but it's always there and it's our strength that can bring it back and bring it to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the big message from all of this is that for, if you ever feel like you've lost yourself, you haven't lost yourself. You might've misplaced yourself because lost is, can be such a permanent sounding, destructive sounding thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just about recognizing that, yep, I'm not where I want to be right now. I'm not who I want to be right now. How am I going to accomplish that? And then and, doing the work to get there. Right. And I think what, what the way I, I concretize it is she heard this voice. She knew this person was pulling her forward. But spend time just thinking, who is that? Who is that ideal me Absolutely. that's talking to me? And the more you think about that, the more you just spend time knowing who that is, the more easy it becomes to walk towards that person. Right. And, and, and it's just about having, to me, that's what spirituality is. It's having a relationship with your ideal version of yourself is talking to them, understanding why they want what they want, why it's hard for them right now. And and they can give you advice. You can introspect and understand why can't I be that part of myself right now? That is what spirituality is to me. That is what this exploration is to me in this book. And that's what's so important to understand and to help people see the value and importance of doing because it's their life, right? Like that's, it's either they become that person or in my view, they're not actually living. Uh, they're not right. living a full, complete human life. Well, and it's also not being afraid to spend time with yourself. That is so important because unfortunately, many people are, don't know how to spend time with themselves. Truly with themselves. And on that note, I'll thank you. On that note, I'm going to say that she did, they got off the boat and they were crossing over and she realized that her most romantic lover spoke many languages but didn't speak Italian. And she ended with a a traversamiamo, let's cross over. And they left the boat and they crossed over. And I think it's her crossing over to the net, like leaving this journey, this intensity behind her to cross over to living her life as this new person she's created, this person she's manifested. And I hope, you know, many people listening, you know, whether it's the first time they read this book, wherever it is, I hope they get to the point where they really feel like they can let all of that shame behind, let all of that sadness behind and cross over to living the life they want to live. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I thank you, mom, and, and everyone listening for spending this time with, with us, with me. Um, I, I, I think it's been very valuable. I hope other people got as much value out of it as, as we did. Um, and we'll, we'll, we, this has already been a, been, been a long, long recording, so we'll record one more episode to um, talk about our reflections on the book as a whole, on the experience, and uh, talk about our favorite parts and all that fun stuff. How's and I'm going to say Arrivederci. Arrivederci. Sure. And Namaste. Cool. <laughs>